Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Thursday, May the 2nd, in the year of our Lord, 2019. And this is a Rumination Thursday, where I'm with a pastor each time as we talk about an important item that you might be interested in. And today, as usual, we have with us Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Is it raining your way? Oh, it stops, it goes, it stops, it goes. It's raining right now. Oh, yeah, that's what rain does, by the way. <laughs> stops and goes. <laughs> yeah, stops and goes. And yeah. I'm going out about a 300-mile round trip right after this to do oh, some my. shut-ins. And, you know, I, I mentioned to the members of the congregations, I'm helping to serve, there's four of them, that if they know somebody who might be wanting to be baptized, uh, let me know. And this one member of one of the congregations has a friend who's in a nursing home, and he talked to him, and he wants to be baptized. He's not Lutheran or anything, and we're going to go today to see him and possibly do a baptism. Wow, isn't that something? I don't know if you ever realize this. I did a survey at my congregation I was at for 28 years as to why people join the church. And we pastors like to think they join because of us. What brought them to the church? And over 80% of them had come to the congregational services because they had been invited by one of the members. Makes a big difference. Yes. That... Um, they're also supposed to be getting out there because we're living in a world today that really is opposed to the Christian faith, and I believe you have something that uh, you want us to talk about. Right. You know, kind of overarching question, who is God or who is your God, so to speak? You know, the pluralism of God that we see out there, you know, like... Uh, you discussed on Tuesday with Mark Smith. I was over at his church on uh, on Sunday. Yeah, big surprise for him. <laughs> he didn't recognize you because you were dressed nicely. <laughs> <laughs> I had my Sunday clothes on. Yeah, I know. And he was looking. He said, "I should know this guy," even though he, <laughs> he eats with us at Steak and Shake. <laughs> oh boy! He didn't recognize me without a burger in the hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But it was something that he said in his sermon. I mean, oh, really yeah. good, good sermon. Yes. He had mentioned that one in three Christians are persecuted in the world. And it got me to taking a look at some things out there. And three three items that, that really came to mind is that, uh, you know, <clears throat> to do Christians really get persecuted here in this country which to a degree I believe that they do. But, yes. you know, recently we saw over in Sri Lanka on Easter Day where a bomb was blown up in, in, in a church there. But um, so you have the terrorist attacks. But, it, but what's, what's interesting is it's not just Christians. The Muslims, the Jews, Jewish faith, they're all getting persecuted at, at the same time. And what are we to make of those things? Uh, yes, and I would say a lot of the persecution in the United States comes about vocally 
uh, by people just making fun of what we say. Uh, yesterday on Issues Etc., I was driving to some other congregations, and so I had the chance to listen to them. But they had a segment on there where they were talking about the president of the Union Theological Seminary, I believe in New York, who was a woman pastor. So I could have guessed that she wouldn't understand Christianity, and she sure didn't. She didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And in the idea that God the Father put Jesus on the cross, she referred to that as child abuse. That I had not heard before. Yes. And it's been a kind of a common thing in this pluralistic society of people trying to put down the Christian faith. And what I find interesting is, and I'm confident, that this so-called woman pastor, she really isn't a pastor in God's eyes, but she thinks she is, that, uh, believe it or not, she's for abortion. And so she has no problem in killing a human being in the womb and then she's arguing that God is child abuser by putting Jesus on the cross because she doesn't believe he did it for our sins. That's the kind of pluralism that our people are listening to. And we pastors need to really start helping them to understand how ridiculous those notions are. Right. Well, that is kind of line item number two that I had in there about how we interpreted the Word of God. You've got uh, homosexuals going around calling themselves Christians, and uh, I mean, which you, which anybody who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we would say yes, is, is a Christian, but that their lifestyle is acceptable before God. Now, expand a little bit on how they look at the Bible differently than do uh, the early church, for example, and many churches today. What's the difference? Well, when you when you would look at the early church, if God said it, I, I believe it. In other words, uh, that settles it. That settles it. Yeah. You know, we review the word. Of, we we have to get our thinking, so to speak, in line with what what God has said out of the Word. What's happened today is is that. Uh, we make line items that God didn't really, that really wasn't God's word when he said it was, homosexuality was a sin, or <laughs> as you say sometimes, pedophilia is not a sin if you're a homosexual. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. As you know, one of the things I'm doing is listening to the entire Bible on CD, and it's a really, it's a, the um, New International Version, and they have like little music in the background. And if they're talking about farming, they've got sheep making noise and cows making noise. And then it's really kind of interesting. And there are different voices for the different characters in the Bible. But I was really quite taken back as how God really is opposed to uh, various sins. And that people in those days used to be put to death. Mm-hmm. And so homosexuality definitely was at the top of that list. But here's the distinction, and maybe you can explain it a little more. The 
normal Christian understands the Bible from a historical grammatical point of view, and the new liberals are looking at it from a historical critical point of view. What's the difference? <laughs> well, one views it as, as it's like taking a Bible and putting it above your head and saying, hey, i got to get my view of God correct, my thinking and thing. And the other view is to take the Bible, put it down below you, and say, i got to find all the errors that are in there and find what I call the real Jesus words. Yeah, many of the new liberals read the Bible like they read a daily newspaper, like our Post-Dispatch. Uh, when I read the Post-Dispatch, I really make a distinction between their editorials and their news, although almost all of their news has become editorials. Editorials, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, regardless of how you feel about President Trump, uh, you hardly ever find anything positive about what he's doing in, in the Post-Dispatch. Everything is really negative. And so, therefore, you have to make a decision. Am I going to believe this or not? And that's how people are looking at the do- Bible. They read about uh, Adam and Eve being created and not evolution. They read about going through the Red Sea, not a shallow reed sea. They hear about Jesus rising from the dead. That can't happen at all. And so they just deny it. And in a sense, what they're doing, they're breaking the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And they're making God in their own image. Would you also say that they're trying to reason the Bible through? Yes. The the Bible simply isn't reasonable. It just doesn't make any reasonable sense. It's very logical. I always like to say that. That's how we come up with the doctrine of the Trinity. But in regard to reason, God doesn't think the way human beings think at all. I, I remember when Samuel went to uh, decide who's going to be king of Israel. He went to Jesse's sons, and he had eight of them. And any one of the first seven would have been appropriate. They were good-looking. They were strong. Uh, they had great personalities. And God said, no, I haven't chosen any of them. Which one did he choose? He chose a kid named David who was taking care of the sheep. And everybody was surprised that that was God's choice. But God says something there. He says, God doesn't look at how a man appears to other men, but God looks at the heart. And so he can do things that make no sense to us at all. But because we have faith, it means we trust his decisions. I, I agree with everything that you're saying, but the question keeps coming back. Who do we really make God when, when we're witnessing to these unbelievers? I mean, to them, it, it looks like, well, you all, you all just got the same God. You just call him by a different name. Yes, but how can you have the same God when one God says you're saved by believing that Christ died on the cross and uh, the other folks say, no, he never really died on the cross. You have contradictory items. And so what we have going for us that no other religion has, he's called the Holy Spirit. Mm. And the Holy Spirit, for some reason, is able to take words and create faith through words. And sometimes the words are not very much. Uh, For example, there was a guy named Saul who fell off a horse, 
And he came to faith because he heard a voice from heaven, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And that was all that was necessary for him to come to faith. He didn't eat or drink for three days. Then he was baptized and he became apostle to the Gentiles, which was just really quite amazing. So in, in one respect, what you're really saying is it's the necessity for us to witness that word, to, to speak it and let the Holy Spirit do the to do its, do its job. Yeah, in fact, um, in my experience, I see people who are explaining the gospel to, uh, say, a friend or a neighbor, and they realize they just speak the gospel, namely the benefits that Jesus Christ won for us by his crucifixion. And then they don't try and argue about it or anything, they just say it. But when they go to speak the law... They try and argue with people about, well, this is God's law and you better do it or else you're going to go to hell or this kind of thing. And they don't realize that while law and gospel are different in the sense that only the gospel is the means by which the Holy Spirit creates faith. He doesn't create faith in the law. It's still the law that God uses as a means of moving a person to contrition over sin. You know, that was always one of my favorite points of, of a visit, is always leave on the note of the gospel. And in, in that way, I figured there were struggles with the Holy Spirit, not with me. Right. The, the fact of the matter is, we're dealing with a lot of young people who are leaving the church, not so much over the doctrines of Jesus, that he died, he rose, etc., and he forgave our sins. But over our morality, they just don't like the idea that we're saying that abortion is a sin or gay marriage is a sin, even though it's very clear from the Bible it is. So how do we overcome that? All we need to do is just speak the law and let the Holy Spirit move that means to create contrition or the big goal we're trying to get to is, and I just finished doing the bones in Ezekiel, mm -hmm. and they say, we are lost. You know, we're alone. We're condemned. And these are live people saying this because they were being taken into Babylonian captivity, and they felt they had no Savior, which they did not at that time because of their unbelief. But the circumstances made the law appear to them as something they dreaded and they feared God greatly and they were absolutely open therefore to a proper understanding of the scripture right well I got one that's a little bit uh, closer to home for today go ahead national day of prayer we're all praying to God but what How God <laughs> well that's to be determined, too, you know. Yeah, this woman pastor, head of Union Theological Seminary, she may not realize it if she does prayer. Uh, in fact, I even doubt she might do that. But if she is praying, she doesn't realize she's really praying to the devil because mm. her view of God is exactly what the devil is, and she doesn't realize that. Yeah, well, you know, you have pastors that say, well, they all pray in the name of Jesus, so at least, at least there's that going on. 
Well, Mormons pray in the name of Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses pray in the name of Jesus, and they're not Christians. So praying in the name of Jesus doesn't help at all if you don't yeah. believe in Jesus. Remember, Israel would go to the temple all the time, the temple of the Lord, and then when the prophet said, no, this temple is going to be destroyed, when Jeremiah said that, they wanted to kill him because he was speaking out against the temple of the Lord. And when Jesus said in the New Testament, you have made this temple a den of robbers, he was actually quoting Jeremiah when he said that because mm. they were trying to rob their way into the kingdom of heaven by means of purchasing sacrifices without a clean heart. It kind of reminds me a little bit, I was thinking about the Acts of the Apostles. You know, you, you read that as they went from city to city, and they were fighting against the, the any pagan sort of gods that were out there as they brought the good news. Yes, and it's kind of interesting, and I've been mentioning this to the congregations I'm serving, that during the Easter season, we don't read the Old Testament reading. We read instead from the Acts of the Apostles. Apostles, yes. And that's a really good point. And, I mean, there are times when you can tie in what these people believe with the truth that they're unaware of. Remember, uh, uh, explain a little bit about that unknown God. Well, that was the one that Paul talked about at Greece. They talked about the unknown God, and he proceeded to deliver his his sermon that, to let them know that unknown God was the triune God, and it was especially Jesus Christ who had uh, suffered and died and rose for them. Yes, they had gods for everything, a god of the sea. You know, you either had Poseidon or Neptune, depending whether you were Greek or Roman. So they had gods. But then there was a lot of areas they didn't have gods for, and that was what the unknown god was taking care of. And Paul picked up on that and said, well, I'll tell you who the unknown god is. We know him to be Jesus Christ. And one of the things I said in the sermon last night, for example, was that we don't know that much about God the Father and the Holy Spirit They're, uh, compared to Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is kind of a silent witness in that when he witnesses, he's not talking about himself and all the things he does, but rather he's always pointing to Jesus Christ because he's the Savior. And God the Father does the same thing. So we know a lot more about Jesus than we know about the Father and the Son. Uh, I'm sorry, the Father and the Holy Spirit. But all three are identical in their thinking and plans for the future. So who is God? He is Christ our Lord in the triune God, huh? Yes. In fact, the title of last night's sermon was, uh, Does Jesus Look Like the Father? That was the title. And, of course, everyone said no. And then what I did is I quoted Revelation 1, which was the text for last night, where Jesus appears with uh, uh, dressed in white and his hair is white and his beard is white, uh, like white as wool, uh, white as snow. And then I went to Daniel 7 and talked about the verses that talk about the Ancient of Days, who is God the Father, and 
the description is almost identical. And mm. the point I make was making is what Jesus himself says. When you see me, you have seen the, seen the Father. Right. And another one, I and the Father are one. Now, that doesn't mean there's only one God. There's still three distinct persons, but they are so closely intertwined. Um, you know, some people are kind of concerned about the Father on Judgment Day. They kind of like Jesus, but they're not sure about the Father. And the point of the sermon was pretty simple. If you want to know how the Father thinks about you, then take a look at how Jesus thinks about you, and there's no difference. That's the good news of the resurrection. That certainly is, with the Father saying to the Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And I like that addition that he does at the transfiguration. Listen (laughs) to him. Yeah, yep. And so... Everything we say should be pointing to to Jesus. Uh, when, when's the next time you're preaching in case people want to come and hear you? <laughs> Not for a while. while. Okay. I, I've cleared out. I'm doing, as you know, some health-related things right now. Sure. Cleaning up uh, some things. So. Well, can you imagine if you and I weren't married? Oh, oh. I have a wonderful wife. Yes, well, we both do, and boy, we just wouldn't be able to accomplish what we're able to accomplish. Like uh, yesterday, I came home, and on the way home, I'm eating, uh, I found ham sandwiches for a buck at a special restaurant, and of course, unfortunately, some dripped on my shirt. So when I got up this morning, I said, oh, I need the clergy shirt again, because I'm going another kind, and there it was. (laughs) It was all clean and all taken care of, so... I I don't understand how priests aren't married. I can't either. No, I mean, that's just kind of ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying that when you call a pastor, the wife is part of the call. No, she's separate. Only the pastor is the one who is called. But a lot of times, like my wife was involved in the choir, the ladies' aid. What what was your wife doing? Uh, Altar guild. Oh, yeah. Some ladies' aid stuff, too. Right now, they got her on a on a school board calling a school principal for one of the churches here in town. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, she's an educator. Yes. Retired, so you know, uh, she's helped out uh, with the school board and things of that nature. So she's, uh, as she says, coming to an end. She says, "I just want to do altar guild and." Uh, Lutheran Women's Missionary League and Ladies' Aid, things like that. Well, that's important because the churches you attend, you're hearing the Word of God for sure. And uh, my home church, St. Paul de Pair, on Manchester, right near Highway 270, is just an excellent church. Mm. And uh, they're in the process of calling a a pastor. Uh, Pastor Smith has retired and they already have two, and so this will be a third one. And that's always an interesting process as God leads a congregation to properly call. That's right. And the biggest thing, and we keep saying that, is they need to do what uh, Ezekiel did. Ezekiel sees these dry bones, and God tells 
him to prophesy to the bones and to bring them back to life. But then God makes very clear that he's working through the words of Ezekiel to bring these people back to life. So it is. Who is our God? It is Christ our Lord. Yes. It is through his word that we bring the good news. And he's found all the way throughout the Old Testament books, Christ our Lord. A lot of people don't realize that, but he's found in the third verse of the Bible. He's definitely found at uh, uh, the burning bush because he refers to himself as the angel of the Lord and his name is I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or as we've commonly said, is from Genesis to Revelation is a story about Jesus. Well, that's what that whole road to Emmaus Bible study was, where these two disciples are still confused. Why did he have to die on the cross? Jesus starts in Genesis, takes him through Malachi. That would have been a great Bible study to attend. Yeah. Well, I think you've answered the question, who is God? Yes. One God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Spirit. Thanks so very much for being with us, and hopefully we'll be back next week. I'm Tom Baker. Tomorrow is Open Mic Friday. You can call me at 1-800-730-2727. Perhaps you have a theological question. I'll attempt to answer it on the next Law and Gospel. God bless. Each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.